When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters and this is episode 58 of the podcast. So glad you could join us for this week's episode. Got a lot to get to today. We're going to talk to Patrick Williams. Uh, We're going to talk AHL hockey. If you know Patrick, you know that he is one of the best at covering the AHL. He's been doing it for a long time. We're going to talk about the start of their season. It's a couple weeks old already and obviously some of the top prospects there. Also got a lot to talk about with Adam Fantilli, the 2023 draft eligible, who is off to a historic start in his season, and we'll also get to your questions later today. Before we get to our interview with Patrick, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice or watch us on flowhockey.tv. You can also please leave a kind rating and review. It'll help get the word out about the podcast and it helps us move up the charts and everything else. So it all does matter. It may not seem like it does, but it doesn't. I appreciate it. All right, now it's time to welcome in our guest, and I'm very pleased to welcome Patrick Williams. He is the writer for the AHL.com and NHL.com, writing all things AHL, and the AHL season is just a few weeks old now. So I thought now is a good time to talk to somebody of Patrick's expertise because we've got a lot of top prospects in the league. We've got a lot of you know really good teams and good players and new teams as well. So a lot to talk about. And uh, really happy to have Patrick. So, Patrick, welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. All right. So, we'll start things off. You know, I want to get into your career a little bit later, too, because, you know, obviously, you and I, we, we've lived beneath the NHL for a lot. We've also covered the NHL. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot to get to there. But before we do that, this is a really interesting season in terms of, I mean, every season in the AHL is interesting because you're always going to have top prospects in there. But there are a lot of real high-profile young players in the league right now. You think about all, all kinds of them, and we could list them off. But, you know, just, just in a general sense, you know, I mean, as we've seen and as you've covered the league over the years, it, it really seems like NHL teams have put a much more emphasis on, on getting their young players into the AHL and getting that extra season. We've seen it with guys like Moritz Sider. Um, you know, obviously the, the Red Wings are following that same path with Simon Edmondson now, but it seems like it's only gotten more important for teams to utilize the AHL in that way. Yeah, and I think the big turning point for that was the 2021 season, the pandemic half season that the AHL held. And uh, <clears throat> that year, the OHL wasn't playing um, and just junior hockey was kind of in a state of disarray. So that, that, that CHL rule, that is such a major factor for you know, for all three leagues, really, NHL, HL, NCHL, um, was not really a factor for a lot of players that year. So as a result, for example, you had Seth Jarvis there for part of the season before he went back. It was, I always kind of joke, it was really the first time in probably league history that a uh, uh, leading scorer at the time was actually sent down a level. <laughs> uh, I thought that was that was kind of a, a sign of the, the strangeness of that season. But a lot of teams were able to see that, it was possible to integrate 18, 19 year old players into the mix. Uh, high end players, Quinn Byfield that year, second overall, spent the year with Ontario. Um, 
and they saw that you, that that it was workable. And um, I think there's such an investment now with players that they want to get their hands on them as fast as possible. You know, if you draft a guy at 18, you don't want to wait till you're till, till he's 20. You don't also want to have to break a lot of bad habits, and that's the thing I hear time and time again from AHL coaches that we have to. It's the quote: "We have to coach the junior out of them, right? Because yeah. especially those last two years of junior can be." They can be a time when a lot of high-end players really have outgrown that that level, pick up some bad habits, and then they come into the AHL and you get someone like Ben Grew in Syracuse, who's such a stickler for every small, you know, every small detail that you can think of. Um, and he spends the next year, year and a half kind of undoing some of that in order to get him to be to get that player to be a well-rounded, you know, as they say, 200 foot player. So um there's that i also think proximity is a factor there uh just when something's closer you, you just are naturally more inclined to take a much greater involvement in it. and you look at the la kings for example for years they were in manchester you know three time zones away uh you know they would get out there now and then they'd send a coach a development coach or maybe they would send a gm assistant gm whatever the case may be now they're practicing in the same facility in Los Angeles as the NHL team. Everybody's under the same roof. They, they ship them out to Ontario about, about an hour or so, give or take, with traffic. Um, and so there's just, you know, for, for games, and so there's just a lot more synergy and, um, you know, exchange of ideas. And, and I just think over the, the years, the goal when they, they did that big West Coast move was to eventually have that, that kind of setup. And, now, well, now we're seven years in, and you really are starting to see that that take hold and really kind of become the new way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you definitely that that proximity is such a huge factor when you know the LA Kings are able to watch every step of Quinton Byfield's development in Ontario, <laughs> and and he's another one of those examples of a player that you know, entered the league so young, and there was a yeah. lot. You know, he's 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 this hugely important prospect for their future. And, you know, you kind of end up in this weird situation where he probably would have gone back to junior had he not, you know, had that pandemic not happen. But, yeah, that's a great point, too, is that, you know, I, I think that the, the pandemic in general across leagues really for, forced everybody to think about things a little bit differently. And they learned there were some positives that did come out of it. And one of those was, you know, the the ease with which you can get those players integrated into your systems and everything else. Um, at the AHL level, but also just having that hands-on experience. And, you know, so I think this year, you know, there are, there are a lot of top prospects that are there, a lot of guys that are, you know, 21, 22 years old, some that are younger, like a guy like Simon Edvinson. And, um, you know, so I, I just wonder if, as you've kind of been watching the first few weeks of the season, have there been any of those young players that, that have stood out to you? Are there any players that you think, you know, this is, this is clearly working out well for them so far? Yeah, I, th I think in some ways they stand out more in the sense that they're fitting in, right? Not yeah. that they're necessarily coming in and, and dominating. I think there is sometimes a, a, an expectation that a, a high-level prospect, first-round pick, uh, whatever the case may be, is going to simply come in and just dominate. And occasionally that, that does happen. But in a lot more cases, especially with uh, you know young defensemen, um, you know, like uh, you know, Simone Nemitz, uh, you know, like an Edmondson, you know, so on and so forth. There's a, there's a major adjustment, um, even for for young players that have played European pro 
Um, it's a different game. Um, I was talking to Ben Simon in, in Grand Rapids last week about Edmonton and just um, there's a major adjustment, right? You know, and it, it's kind of this the, the the old story of well, you know, now you're playing against men, you're playing against guys who have five, ten years pro experience, guys who play in the NHL. It, it's 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 a major step up, and uh, you know, fortunately for a player like Edmonton, he he's you know got a really good head on his shoulders and. Um, same thing with Nemitz, and they come in and they just want to kind of soak up every bit of every bit of uh, knowledge that they can get. But um, uh, you, you do see that there, you know, there could be some difficult adjustment periods. I know that Philip Zadina in, in Grand Rapids uh, with with Ben yeah. Simon there that was back in 2018. That was uh, that was a difficult adjustment, probably for the better part of a half, three quarters of a season before it kind of clicked. Even uh, yeah. Moritz, um, you know. He was not dominant by any stretch in the American Hockey League early on, and really, you know, well into that season he played in Grand Rapids. Two years later, there is uh, winning the Calder, um, you know, the NHL with Detroit. So um, there can be kind of that switch that flips, and you can start to see that player really start to figure things out. And, and they're just getting day day in and day out. Uh, work with with uh, development coaches with the head coach uh you know the, the staff detroit will send people down uh, so so it, it's it's a really hands-on experience and um i think now with with the there's a much greater emphasis than when i started on practice time in the american league and, yes. and better scheduling um they've 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 done a lot of work over the years to to kind of weed out those well it was four and five when i started you know, four games, five nights, three and threes yes. are still around, but they're much less common. Um, and, and I think that's a huge, uh, huge boost for development uh, where you, you can get the players games, but you also get them plenty of practice time. Um, they're down to 72 games now from 80 games about a decade ago. So there's just a much better emphasis on that balance between we want that to have game experience, but we also want them to get a lot of good practices you know, in there and, and that development time. And, and really you, you can't, you can't replicate that if the players, you know, let's say with a byfield, if he had gone back to the OHL, your hands are kind of tied with him. You can't do a whole lot on a, on a day-to-day basis, or certainly if you, if, you know, like a Nemitz, if you had sent him back to uh, Slovakia, well, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind in a way. And, you know, you may right. be able to get out, get over there now and then, but it's not going to be the same, um, same kind of level of, uh, uh, close development. So, um, yep. it, it, it's a much different lead, I would say than even 10 years ago. Yeah, it really seems to be. And I mean, it's, it, it, and for, for the better in the, in the end, because I mean, it, you mm-hmm. get all these young guys and these, these opportunities and, you know, for the AHL, now they've got more star future star players. They always have them. They're always there every yeah. single year. You're going to see a guy that's going to be an NHL all-star in that league. But now it's just, it's more frequent. And, you know, just as we're talking here too, you know, I'm looking at where we're, you know, a little bit into the season. Most teams haven't played any more than four to five games here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, looking at the rookie scoring leaders, you know, this is also another thing that, that the AHL has been great for is, is getting those those guys that sign as free agents out of Europe, like Matei Blumel, who who signed as a free agent. He was actually mm-hmm. initially drafted by Edmonton, didn't sign with them. Now he's part of Dallas, and he had a great world championship. He comes over, and 
you know, he's he's played in North America before. He played in the USHL. He's he's been yeah. You know, he he didn't have to necessarily make that adjustment. He's already got he, he's the, one of the top scoring rookies in the league. So a lot of great uh, avenues for development for players at various ages. But you know, I I think also too, I was thinking some thinking back to some of the guys that you know, I think Miko Rantanen's a good example of a guy that was able to mm-hmm. come in and, and and produce quite a bit. Um, now we're seeing some of these guys that are kind of like on the cusp. So I'd say like Marco Rossi is kind of that guy. He had a very strong season last year. This year he's kind of, you know, floating around 10-ish minutes mm-hmm. for for Minnesota. So, you know, and, and the thing is, and I wanted to, this is another thing I wanted to talk to you about is like so often when young players, like let's say it's Marco Rossi, let's say he gets sent back to Des Moines to, to, to the Iowa Wild, a lot of fans will say view that as, failure or as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that thinking really needs to change on that. I'm sure you agree, but also just the, you know, what are, what are the benefits for a guy that, you know, he's gotten that taste of the NHL and it's just, he's not getting, finding his way. I mean, oftentimes the best place for him is probably to go back and be a top guy in the AHL. Go back, um, play 20 minutes a night, um, get some success, uh, ideally, uh, play all situations. Um, and you know, kind of come back to that geographical factor. It's a lot easier now. You don't, I think psychologically yep. it's easier for players. You know, you think if Absolutely. you were, let's say Vancouver and Utica, well, you know, a couple of years ago, well, now you got to put a player on a plane. He flies across the country. He has all that time to kind of think about things. And, and, and when he lands, he's, you know, it's very apparent that, you know, he, he's far away and it just, it's a different thing now. Whereas now if you're in Vancouver and they send you down, a 45 minute drive uh over to abbotsford you know you can be back in vancouver that night um there's far less disruption for players in terms of their off ice uh you know living situation so um i think it's a lot better in that regard as well and i think that's something that people don't really think about and none of these assignments have to be permanent right the player goes down right. there and, and dominates or, or does whatever he's asked to do I assure fans, the NHL team has every incentive to bring that player back up um, yes. and, and get him back in the NHL lineup. Uh, nobody is being kept down in the AHL uh, if they don't have to be, right? You know, NHL teams are looking for every little edge they can find for their lineups. Um, and if you have a player in the AHL that can contribute, I mean, um, you know, and I, I even, I've actually had this discussion kind of off the record with a lot of uh, players that are on AHL deals. And there can kind of be that, feeling for them that, well, you know, I'm kind of buried, you know, my chances of, you know, call up aren't, aren't great. Well, and I've even said it, I'm like, I know a lot of players, the NHL team, if you play well, they'll, they'll tear up that AHL deal. They'll give you right. a two way NHL deal on the spot. Um, so um, everybody's looking for an edge, right? This is the NHL. They're, they're the, it's the air of parody. So if, if you can certainly do your job down in the AHL, you are going to get your opportunity. I think, that's another big difference from when I started that, you know, it, it used to be that you were, were kind of buried. Um, and when you were sent down, you were forgotten. I remember one, one coach who was, you know, thinking back to when he was a player, it was almost like, well, you know, going to the AHL is like, they put you on a shelf and they would only take you <laughs> off the shelf if they absolutely needed you, you know, kind of like a last yeah. resort. Yep. And it's not yep. that way anymore. It's like, I mean, I get the transactions report every day and it's, you know, it's, you know, a mile long. So, um, you know, players coming up and down. So it's not, it's not the kind of the death knell that it used to be to be sent down. 
Yeah, it really doesn't seem that way. I mean, we we talked last week about you know how how more teams are even using the ECHL option at, for yes. for development to 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 expand their rosters and and give their their guys a chance to you know to be close by where you know Sebastian Cosa picked up his first ECHL win the other night you know he also picked up his first AHL win the night before it's all about getting reps and playing and being in an environment where you can be successful and it is you know I, I think fans just kind of have to retrain themselves a little bit like the same thing could happen to Uri Slavkovsky this year he could very well end up in Laval and 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 play big minutes and that might a- end up being the best thing for him and you know, I, we, we talk a lot about different players that have you know spent a lot of time. Maybe maybe some of those guys do play 30-plus games, but you know the team's really mm-hmm. struggling. They're not getting the ice time. You send them back, I mean, and, and, and not having to go through waivers for those players on entry-level contracts, sure. it just sometimes makes good sense to, to, to send them down as opposed to trying to expose somebody to waivers. And it, it's exactly what Toronto did with Nick Robertson. He comes right back up and scores one-and-one one in, in his first NHL game. So... You know, it, it's it really is the, the the way that the NHL minor league system and the farm system has been set up um, is much more development conducive now than it ever has been, in my opinion. I, I I guess you know we've that's basically what we've been saying this whole time here. But we'll uh, we'll switch gears a little bit, and there is a new team in the league as well, Coachella Valley Firebirds. Mm-hmm. Um, they are they are here and they are winning uh out the gates um you know dan bilesma being involved here's a guy that's been through every level of coaching in the last few years it seems like um but you know coachella valley is is an, another a unique market a new place uh, and the seattle kraken's uh, uh farm team and you know the crack i had always wondered you know the kraken didn't necessarily spend a ton of uh ahl picks on their in their expansion draft you know it's really hard to build up an organization um, but it seems like they're doing it and, and having some success already in Coachella Valley. Yeah, they're a little bit of a different um, um, kettle of fish in the sense that it's only a second-year NHL club, so you don't really have that cycle of draft picks right. circling into the NHL system quite yet. Uh, so as a result, you have to kind of meal a team together for the American League. Um, there's a heavy emphasis on, on call-up ready players. Um, so. Yep. Um, a lot, you know, obviously it's going to be a very attractive destination for players that are on that bubble, you know, like a Andrew Podorowski, uh, Cameron Hughes, or John Hayden, guys that have been kind of right there and just, you know, they look at it, Seattle as an opportunity. I think it certainly doesn't hurt that they're playing in Coachella Valley, which is, you know, for anybody that's not aware, it's basically Palm Springs area. Yep. Um, brand new $300 million building going up. And that's one of the strangest things for me is, is, the new buildings that have come into the league. Um, yeah. There's three just in the past, uh, I believe, 10 months. So um, that's been that's been a strange, uh, interesting development to see, to see that level of investment that's gone into um, the operation. I mean, it used to be kind of where wherever you could find an, an empty building uh, in a market, that was where you might put a team. <laughs> now teams are actually, yeah, pretty much. there's that investment of like, all right, you know, hey, let's, um, let's put in a, Two hundred fifty, three hundred million dollar building. Uh, Henderson was the same thing, right outside of Las Vegas. Yep. Uh, San Jose just opened their building this past uh, past weekend. So uh, there, there's just a lot more, uh, not just uh, time and energy, but also a financial investment. Uh, and Coachella Valley is the same thing. So um, that's why, for example, they were able to get a Biosma, somebody of his, you know, right. his resume um, to come out there and 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 
and lead that team. And uh, so they're they're kind of an interesting mix, just that they're not your your traditional type of AHL team. That uh, it's a lot more veteran heavy, um, which is tricky in a league where there is a veteran role. Um, so they've had to kind of just uh, you know take a little bit of hair and a little bit there and kind of like mold it into a team. And uh, so um, a segment of those players spent last season in Charlotte. Uh, really the last dual affiliation we may see for a long time uh, right. with Florida. Um, they didn't have their own team yet. So uh, th- that that contingent came over to Coachella Valley. Then you kind of added in some free agents, um, a couple guys over from Europe, uh, just kind of wherever you could find, find a player um, who, who was undrafted or just a free agent. Uh, they were able to kind of integrate them into the lineup. Yeah, that's, Really good points about the investment in the facilities as well, because I mean, it feels like the the stability of the league is at an all time high as well. We're not seeing as many oh, yeah. teams moving or folding. And one one of the teams that you know, like the, the Calgary Flames are now the, we have a new you know a new team in the league that Stockton uh, Heat moved from Stockton to Calgary. They're now the Calgary Wranglers. And Calgary was one of those NHL franchises that moved affiliates more than I've rearranged furniture in my house. You know, like, it's just like <laughs> they they were in Quad City and Omaha and Stockton and, and uh, I mean, so many other places, uh, Adirondack. I mean, like all these different places, you know, and Long Live yeah. Scorch, by the way. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, that's that's another thing that, that has really struck me is that. Um, you know, there are still independently owned teams in the league. There, there are teams that, that have, you know, obviously um, they have to sell tickets. They all have to sell tickets. I mean, in the end, but, but it yeah. seems like NHL teams are, are more than willing to, you know, play a, a very active role, not just in the hockey operation side, but in the business side as well. Do you think that's been another one of those changes that, that you've noticed over these last few years here? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously when, when the NHL team owns, the franchise in the HL outright, there's there is that incentive to to strengthen things up on the business side. So you, you do get a lot of that kind of that cross transfer of, of you know staff, business ideas, marketing initiatives. It's a lot easier to market a team too where when um, it's a nearby team. I mean that that was a challenge all for years and years and years when the league was really heavy in the New England area. Um, you know, obviously that's Boston Bruins country and you were trying yeah. to, you know, Manchester with LA and Phoenix and Portland and uh, St. Louis and Worcester. It was, it was a tough fit to market that right now. Right. Ontario and LA is an easy, much easier marketing job. Obviously Calgary and Calgary is an easier marketing job just right down the line. And um, so it makes it easier in that front as well. Um, and um, for the teams that are in- independently owned, um, there is, I think, a better recognition um, than there used to be that we have to help those teams sell tickets to as well. And uh, so, you know, that's where yeah. the veteran players come in and, you know, putting a competitive product on the ice uh, year in and year out. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, NHL fans and AHL fans are no different. They want to see their team win, right? Uh, right. I think there is sometimes this perception that, well, AHL fans just want to see development. No, they want to see their team win, right? Just uh, fans are fans. And um, that's that's very important to, to AHL fans they understand what the job is but you also have to kind of you know throw them uh you know you know a little bit of a uh, you know incentive as well so um For sure. so there, yeah there there's that there there's that 
balance and it can be tricky and there can be friction at times, but um, it, it, it's a much better, I think, much more cohesive um, relationship than maybe it used to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's no question that that the business side doesn't necessarily incentivize teams to send players down as much as the developmental aspects. But that's another thing, too, is I think they have even more reason to allow some of their young players to, to go to their to their markets and and have a chance to, you know, to kind of play um, in that in that environment and, and also to, you know, give their kind of throw a bone to their their farm teams as well, where, where you say, hey, we're going to have these future stars here. You know, you look at Grand Rapids right now and the number of first round, former first round draft picks that they're going to have on their roster. And, you know, the the, the fact that they do have so many good young players, but we, we've seen it plenty of other places, too. Um, but yeah, but, you know, I mean, and we're also seeing the other thing the AHL has done extremely well is, you know, now that they're in more and different markets, um, you know, it's it's just another factor that helps grow the game. They're very active in their communities. They're doing a lot of different things. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm in Iowa. I see what the Iowa Wild are doing. Um, mm-hmm. Now we've got the Iowa Heartlanders locally, you know, that's helping grow hockey in markets where it's kind of been stagnant for a lot of years um, where, you know, the people that played hockey were the people that played hockey. Now we're, we're seeing a lot of movement and growth there. Um, and then on the other hand too, you also have just tremendous history throughout the AHL. I mean, you've got franchises like Hershey and Rochester that have been around for, for decades and decades. Um, and, and that's really cool too. And, and, and I also wanted to talk to you about, you know, the fact that, you know, being a star in the AHL, being a guy that has played the bulk of his career in the AHL is actually a pretty darn good career. Um, it's a really yeah. good for for guys that uh, you know they make pretty decent money at that point. Um, you know, on the on the on the contracts that they have, and then also you know it's 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 certainly an opportunity to to play an active role in an organization. And it's been my opinion for for some time now. And I actually I had a conversation with with an AHL coach a few years ago about the importance of the veteran players, guys like TJ Tynan and, and Michael Mersch in Rochester and and guys mm-hmm. like, you know, Chris Bork, you know, going back a little bit and Brett Sterling going back even further, you know, guys that are really good AHL players that maybe just didn't have that, you know, that extra bump to get uh, to be a consistent NHL or they had NHL experience, and, you know, are back back there for whatever reason. It seems like those players have become so much more important to have as well. You mentioned Andrew Podorowski and, um, in Coachella Valley. And he's a guy that's kind of a tweener where he's, he still has that Mm. chance to potentially move into the Kraken's lineup a little bit here, but those guys are hugely important to, to a franchise. Are they not? Absolutely. I mean, for no other reason, they help teams win and you want your prospects in a winning environment. I, I, I've been around teams where um, they don't win and, and you can just see the effect it has on prospects. It's just a bad environment. It's remember, these are young players. These are 20, 21 year old, uh, prospects that are coming in and um, they're still impressionable. If you put them around kind of the wrong atmosphere, the wrong environment, um, it can definitely be detrimental to, to, to their long-term development. So that's where, you know, you, you hear this a lot from age old GMs, you know, we want veterans, but we want the right veterans, right? So it's not just a matter of coming in and, and you know, putting up a hundred points a year uh, as a veteran. You also have to be like a Potter Allstein and be an excellent, leader, ex- excellent captain. Uh, Tynan is another example, a guy who really kind of gets his role. And those players are not easy to find. I mean, it, it, it is a difficult transition for players um, who maybe have to start to, to absorb that thought that, hey, maybe the NHL is not in my future. But 
I'm going to come to the AHL. I'm going to really buy into the what we're doing down here. I'm going to set myself up possibly for for a job post post playing career. Um, that's that's obviously an incentive for a lot of players. You know, you you, you know you, you make a good impression when in, in your 30s. That that can lead into a coaching job, scouting job, management, whatever. Um, and the money, like you said, the money's excellent. You know, if you're a high end AHL vet now, you're making four hundred or four hundred to five hundred thousand a year. And you know, obviously, yeah. in, in in the world of sports, money maybe people don't think that's a lot, but uh, you know, anywhere outside of you know, like you know, the top four <laughs> sports, you know, five hundred thousand dollars a year is excellent money. And I don't know too many other jobs that uh, most people can uh, um, get with any sort of uh, you know regularity. It's going to pay you half a million dollars a year. So, uh, you know, it, you know, that's where you start to see, you know, like Logan Shaw in Toronto just signed a three-year AHL deal, which I can't recall the last time I saw a three-year AHL deal, but he's getting paid extremely well. And, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit of stability for him and his family. And, uh, you know, players are looking for that as well. I mean, it, it can be difficult if you make the move over to Europe for, for players. Then you start right. hopscotching around. Europe, uh, if you go to the KHL, that's obviously difficult right now. Um, so th there's a lot of other considerations I think maybe people don't always think about, but um, you know, it's the same as any job in any industry. You're looking for stability, you're looking for obviously for salary, and, and you're looking for the right environment to be in. Yeah, and I think it's it's just so it's so great to see that that NHL teams have have really invested, and in, and in the AHL teams have invested in those players because. They are going to be important. And one of the things that when I had that conversation with the coach is that these guys finish the plays that the young guys make. You know, like if they're yes. they're, they're in the right spots, they know where to be. They also know how to get the puck to player X or player Y in any situation. And that just makes those players better because when you get to the NHL level, that's the precision is probably the the one of the biggest differences between levels. And then if you have guys that are in the AHL that can play with that precision, it just helps those young guys make that transition all the more yeah, uh, you, you uh, need, easier. Yeah. You need that high end talent, you know, like a Podorowski to be able to play with your first and second round picks. Um, you know, I always say, you know what, there's no AHL team that has 20 legitimate NHL prospects anyway. Um, right. So, you know, you have, I don't know, anywhere from five to 10, depending on kind of where you're at in your development cycle with your prospects. But um, you want your first round picks to be able to play with, with, high-end players that have played in some in the nhl um that can keep up with them basically and uh um the more you can do that uh, it's conducive to um young players development like i said it's also helpful for winning and and that's a great point that you make you, you somebody that can finish so if uh um you know you're a player you're a young prospect and you're you're making the right plays, but they're not being finished. That can kind of wear on a young player. So, uh, you know, having somebody that can actually like convert those plays, uh, I think is a, is a, is a major, major advantage for, for those young players as well. Yeah, no, no question about it. And it's, it's, yeah, I mean, and that's just a, the thing, I, you know, the, the AHL, you know, I think the KHL is fine, you know, obviously it's a different thing. Um, but I think mm -hmm. if you're looking for something that most closely resembles NHL hockey, it's the AHL, yeah. um, you know, so, yeah. and, and, and that's why those games remain incredibly entertaining. Um, and all those teams do such a great job with, you know, engaging fans in different ways as well. Like I'll be going to a school day game pretty soon um, in mm -hmm. Des Moines. 
10 30 a.m puck drop so uh always yeah, love those that uh, bring your plugs for those though it's a great way to make hockey accessible um to yes. fans of all different ages i mean you know let's be honest the nhl is not you know for for Vast majority of families is not something you can bring the family out to, right? You know, to an NHL right. game in most markets. Uh, but it's, it's certainly possible uh, with AHL. Uh, school league games, obviously a great example. Uh, and and it, it, it's brought hockey, high-level hockey, to a lot of markets that, you know, maybe, right, you know, aren't quite ready, you know, or able to be NHL markets. But there are still markets that if you're the NHL, you want yeah. a presence in. San Diego, for example in Austin, Texas, sure. um, you know, Cleveland, you know, those kind of markets, like big markets, but, um, you know, so, so it allows some inroads there as well. I think that's kind of, yeah. the, you know, maybe a, a lesser known uh, part of what the AHL does, but uh, it, it, it brings hockey, you know, not just to the 32 NHL markets, but kind of all spread around. Yeah, no question. It's, it's great. It's great to see. And, you know, it's certainly a league that that I'll continue to uh, be following very closely. It's great, obviously, for what I do with prospects. It's it's an essential mm-hmm. league for what I do. Um, all right. Well, before I get you out of here, Patrick, I want to talk a little bit. You know, you've you've had this uh, a career in writing for 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 some time now, and now you know you've you've kind of become identified as you know the go to source for for the AHL, um, and certainly somebody that I followed for a long time for that purpose. Um, and, and it's been great to, to follow you. Also. Should note that in 2016, you won the James Ellery Memorial Award for Outstanding Media Coverage of the AHL, which is a which is an award that goes back to like the 50s. Um, so that's pretty mm. cool that that you're part of that legacy. But you know, I just how how did you you know how how did you get into covering the AHL? What you know, kind of and and what keeps you going? And 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 what what can we look forward to you uh, forward to this year from you uh, as you continue on this uh, you know excellent uh, the excellent coverage that you provide. Yeah, it's been a weird journey, and like in some ways, it's kind of mirrored, not really by intent, but just the way it's happened. Um, like a player journey. Like you know, I started off, did a lot of ECHL, did a lot of junior. Um, so that was kind of my my foot in the door. I remember, I mean, especially when I started, like most markets still had a very heavy newspaper um, presence, yeah. uh, so it was really hard to break in. I mean, you had you were going up against guys who were, you know, 20, 25 years of experience. So um, for me, just getting to the HL level, kind of get my foot in the door that way, that was huge. Uh, then I was able to eventually get up, you know, to the NHL for five years uh, with NHL.com with the Winnipeg Jets. So that was a, that was obviously a very cool experience, but uh, you know, like just, you know, with family stuff, you know, I had to start to transition back. Uh, you know, the NHL is kind of all consuming with your life and, uh, <laughs> Um, you know, and then the the nice thing now in a lead beat, I can kind of make my own schedule. uh, So I'm not kind of beholden, you know, with like the jet schedule, you know, like three games and four nights. And if there's something that, uh, the family needs, oh, well, kind of that thing. So, um, so it's a much better, uh, kind of work life balance in that regard. So, um, that's kind of how I've ended up here. And, uh, now I think I have kind of settled into kind of a nice nation, um, the thing that's always struck me as strange is that, you know, this is the lead that right below the NHL and there's traditionally been fairly minimal coverage. And yeah, I've always Agreed. found it strange that, you know, we, we, we kind of, um, we pick apart the draft, for example, right. You know, ever to, you know, to, 
within an inch of its life. And then these guys go off to the AHL for a couple of years and then we kind of like forget about them until they right. hopefully come up to the NHL. But, you know, there's a huge step in between there, between draft night and that player eventually becoming an NHL player. And that's kind of where the AHL that, that occupies that, that, you know, that pretty large uh, piece of real estate in, in the development curve. Yeah. Uh, no question. And I, I, I do think that as prospect coverage has continued to get more popular, I think that we're starting mm -hmm. to see it turn a little bit, but it's, yes. but it's been slowly but surely. And then I think in that regard, you know, somebody like you, the, the value only increases because you're also saying you're also able to tell people about, you know, the league and what's happening. And there are people that are interested in playoff races and results and different and the, and, and the coaches and everything like that. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I think that's, that's one thing we, we didn't get to today, but I, we'll, we'll get to it another time. But, you know, just the, the fact that this has also been the, 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 where all these coaches have learned and, um, you know, spent time, you know, John Cooper, Jared Bednar, you know, where they, they all had to take that step before getting to mm -hmm. the NHL. So, um, so it's, it's, it's a critical league and yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I think that, you know, hopefully we'll see down the road here as, as more people, you know, become more aware and it's, it's, it's never been easier. Uh, to follow, um, you know, all the various leagues. Uh, I mean, obviously you need to have your subscriptions here, there and everywhere else to, to get them. But at the same time, there's just so much content and different things that you can consume. And, and it, I, you know, I, I think that you provide a, a huge value to the hockey community for your coverage. So I, so just as a fan, thank you for that. And also thank you. thanks a ton for coming on today because uh, I think you provide just tremendous insight into the league. So, so thanks a lot, Patrick. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yep. Well, you can follow Patrick on Twitter at P Williams AHL um, and certainly follow his work at the AHL.com and NHL.com. Patrick, thanks again. It was an absolute pleasure to have you and uh, really excited to continue to follow his coverage. All right. We're going to move on and talk a little bit about uh, NHL draft prospects because uh, there's been a lot of stuff happening here. And the one guy I wanted to touch on, and if you've been following me on Twitter over the last weekend, and you've also read flowhockey.tv where there was an article about this player, Adam Fantilli is on a tear right now through the NCAA. Now, he's only played six official NCAA games plus one exhibition. In those six NCAA games for the University of Michigan, Adam Fantilli has put up 15 points. That's 15 points in six games. Now, that led me to think, well, how does that compare to Jack Eichel, who had the greatest draft eligible season? We talked about this last week on the podcast. I know we, we're, we're, we're recovering that same ground. But but then, uh, you know, Fantilli went ahead and had seven points last weekend against Lake Superior State. Now, Michigan's strength of schedule is going to get tougher. But the fact that Adam Fantilli has scored 2.5 points per game He's kind of blown past the Eichel benchmark. And as I said on Twitter the other day, he's now entering the Korea zone. Paul Korea, as a freshman, uh, draft eligible in 1992-93, had 100 points in 39 games. Now, my friend Ryan Lambert reminded me on Twitter that back then they also counted exhibition games, and he actually had nine points in exhibition games that year. Um, so still, 91 points is insane. Take nothing away for, from Paul Korea. Obviously, a much more high-scoring era as well. But 2.54 points per game is what he averaged. And Adam Fantilli is at 2.5. Now, do I think Fantilli is going to average that amount the rest of the season? No, I do not. I don't think that's going to happen because uh, it, it's it's just really hard to, to score that high of, 
in college. I mean, it's hard to score two points a game, let alone two and a half points per game. Um, it's even hard to score half a point a game, to be completely honest, especially for a true freshman. We'll follow where this goes. But needless to say, Adam Fantilli is, as I wrote on Flow Hockey, no one's consolation prize. Yes, Connor Bedard is more than likely going to go number one. But Adam Fantilli is going to be that guy that makes all those teams that are not playing that well in the NHL right now feel a little bit comfortable. If we don't get Connor Bedard, maybe we get an Adam Fantilli. Maybe we get a Matt Faye-Mitchkov. Fantilli has established himself as the premier power center of this draft. And that is going to be very interesting to follow throughout the year. It's still early. There's a long way to go. But what he's doing right now is incredible. And if he keeps up even a little bit of this pace, he's going to have one of the best draft seasons ever by an NCAA freshman. Pretty incredible um, to think about that. One other college hockey item that I wanted to touch on. If you didn't see it last weekend, University of Minnesota and the University of North Dakota renewed their rivalry. Last weekend in Minnesota, packed house at Mariucci both nights, and both games went to overtime. They end in a series split. The Saturday game was absolutely bananas. There was a 2-0 lead for Minnesota. Rhett Pitlick, who's a, a Montreal Canadiens prospect, scored a goal, did the Jack Hughes stick toss celebration, threw his stick into the crowd, got a 10-minute misconduct. It's an automatic penalty at every level. You can't do that. Jack Hughes did it in overtime, and nobody cared because it was overtime. The game was over. Rhett Pitlick did it during regulation, and it kind of flipped the tide of the game a little bit, and he got in a little bit of trouble uh, after the game from his head coach, I'm sure. But uh, not the best decision, but it just kind of, as one of my friends that, that texted me, he's like, that was great for the rivalry. Not a great idea, but great for the rivalry. Minnesota and, and North Dakota have have – you know, their former WCHA teams that obviously are now in separate conferences, North Dakota and CHC, Minnesota, and the Big Ten. So we would get a maximum of one non-conference series a year, but it has to be an annual thing. College hockey is better when rivalries like that are piping hot, and that was piping hot. The other thing I didn't mention about Rhett Pitlick, not you know his stick, he actually ended up throwing it to a North Dakota fan who threw it back. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's incredible. We need more of that. Now, I believe they're still scheduled to play next season. I think it's the season after that where they are not scheduled to play. Um, but we have to make sure that rivalries like that, whether it's in conference or out of conference, continue because it is part of what makes college hockey great. Incredible theater. I didn't watch any of it live, but I, I followed along. And I now have to go back and watch it because what an incredible theater for college hockey. All right. Now... As we do at the end of every episode, wanting to get to some of your questions. I got a few that we're going to run through fairly quickly here because we're running short on time. Once again, huge thanks to Patrick and a huge thanks to all of you who have asked questions. So let's get it started as we get rolling with our very first question from our Q&A. And this one comes from at Dana45451. And it is, can Michael Hrabel be a first rounder? Is he the best goalie this year? Great question from Dana. This was asked last week. I said, I got to save this one for the pod because I've been wanting to talk about Michael Rabel a little bit more. I'm going to have to pull up his stats too because quite frankly, he's having a tremendous season. He's playing for the Omaha Lancers in the USHL. So, you, you know, if you ever want to watch Michael Rabel play, you can certainly do that right on Flow Hockey as I continue my shameless plug habit. But what I will say about Michael Rabel is 
He's six foot six, two hundred pounds. So right off the bat, he's got the NHL size. That's what teams are love. You know, Sebastian Kosa, who was a first round draft pick, six foot six. You know, you love the size. Through five games this season, he has a nine forty save percentage. He's got two wins. Has yet to lose in regulation. There are three overtime losses, um, and he also played for Czechia in the uh, in the Holinka Gretzky Cup this year. Had a nine thirty three save percentage in that event as well. Um, and was spectacular, or excuse me, it wasn't a 930, he had a 917 in the Holinka Gretzky Cup. He's had a 933 in international competitions throughout the season. Um, it, it appears that he will not be playing. Uh, he at least wasn't named to the initial roster for the Czechs for the Five Nations, which is actually in Plymouth, Michigan this year. Um, so I'm not sure if we'll get a chance to see him there at that U18 event. But he, to to make, uh, I made this question, answer too long already, but to answer Dana's question directly, I do think that Harabal is trending towards first round. I think he's at this point, he is in my first round for the 2023 draft. I've just will have my draft rankings coming out in a couple of weeks here. The first one of the season um, will be out soon. And as of right now, Michael Harabal is in the first round for me. I do think he's the best goalie I've seen this year from this draft class. He certainly has all of the tools. I mentioned the size, he takes up so much net. And he's also just so controlled in his movements. I think that's another thing that, you know, obviously we see guys like Sebastian Costa is a little bit more of a wild goalie. He's quick. He's he's shifty. He's not as technically sound. I think Robble's got kind of a, a mix of that athleticism with technique. And, you know, he takes away the bottom of the ice so well. He's very difficult to beat down low. Um, he's really good post to post. He's got some explosiveness in his ability to move from side to side. So. I think he is a first-rounder. I think he is going to be one of the top goalies. Our next question comes from at Hockey Skeptic. And this is another USHL-related question. Why did Bryce Montgomery switch to the USHL from the O? Was this a player or organization decision, and why don't we see it more often? Good question from Hockey Skeptic. Bryce Montgomery, a, a draft pick of the Carolina Hurricanes, big defenseman, played for the London Knights for the last few years. High upside player, but very raw. You know, he's he's one of those guys where you say, okay, well, I see all the tools, but can he put it all together? And I think that's kind of the the thing that that is interesting. So he played the last few seasons with London. Um, obviously, the the 2020-21 season canceled the OHL, so didn't play anywhere. Got into 49 games last year, and then he already had two uh, two games this year with London. When these things happen, when a player moves from the OHL to the USHL. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, it's a mutual agreement between the team and the player um, because, you know, he needs he needs to go where he can play more, where he's going to get an opportunity. He obviously has to develop. Often the any the OHL team and the NHL team will have some consultation about that plan as well, because, you know, Bryce Montgomery, a sixth round draft pick. You know, he's he's an interesting player. He's huge. I mean, six, five, over 220 pounds good mobility, all those things. So now he's going to Cedar Rapids. And I think this will actually be a really good move for him um, because Cedar Rapids has has done a very good job of developing defensemen over the years. Mark Carlson has a great track record with that. You think about guys, Alec Martinez is one of the players that played there, Scott Perunovic. Um, you know, so there have been a, you know, a number, I'm, I'm leaving out so many because that it has been a, a really strong place for defensemen to develop. And the reason that we don't see it as often is just because, you know, when those decisions are made, there are they, they do have to go through tons of different layers of, of decision making. And then also because the CHL 
um, and the OHL is 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 governed by Hockey Canada, um, and the USHL is governed by USA Hockey. There is a transfer that would have to be completed as well. Um, I think we've seen it a lot more with goaltenders moving between leagues. We saw it during the pandemic where CHL players came to the USHL. I don't necessarily think we're going to see a ton of it happening, but I think in Bra- Bryce Montgomery's case in particular, a guy that needed to play a lot more than he was probably going to be able to in London, um, you know, and, and then goes to Cedar Rapids, which is a team that, that, that had some availability and needed to strengthen their blue line. It's, it's a, a win-win for all parties. Um, I don't have a ton of insight into the, what the final decision was, but usually in those cases, it's a mutual agreement between the team, the player, uh, the accepting team, uh, the NHL team that has some say as well. Next one comes from at Seymour Sports. And this question is, who are the undrafted free agent candidates from Atlantic Hockey I will be watching? Um, you know, Atlantic Hockey has been interesting over the last couple of years. I think it's far more competitive than it's ever been. I think it's also, you know, those teams are are, are having really strong games against uh, out, out of conference as well. You, know, you think about AIC, they had a tie with UMass this year and UMass swept Denver. I mean, you know, there are a lot of really strong players. And, you know, I think the thing about Atlantic hockey, and they don't tend to have a ton of NHL prospects in the league. Um, and it happens. I mean, Justin Danforth currently uh, playing for the Columbus Blue Jackets, having a great start to the season, played at Sacred Heart. And, and you know, he's, he's probably one of the best. He'll go down as one of the best players in Atlantic hockey. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, NHL teams are scouting there, but not as much as they are for the bigger conferences. So, you know, for me, I, as I look through kind of the, the league roles and, and different players, it, you know, there's really not a lot of chatter in terms of, you know, guys that are going to be undrafted free agents. Doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, but, you know, right now you look at some of the top scorers in the league. They're guys that are a little bit on the undersized side. And, you know, points alone aren't going to get you noticed. You have to have some other attributes. But I think certainly teams like AIC, Robert Morris in the, in the past has had some guys that have signed free agent deals. Um, you know, Canisius, uh, they've, they've all had certain players. I just don't think that, you know, this year with the, with the undrafted free agent class being fairly strong and, and, and broad among the, the top conferences, I don't think that we'll see too many. Um, and certainly there's not anybody that's currently on my radar for that one. Next one comes from at Michigan Law Grad. Thoughts on Eric Portillo? Buffalo's system is deep at goalie, would seem to be a good candidate to be a college free agent. Believe he played one season in the USHL and now three at Michigan. When is he free to sign with any team? Good question from Michigan Law Grad. Well, Portillo in particular would be free to sign with any team as soon as he become is no longer a bona fide college student. So um, if he withdraws from school in June of this year, he will be a free agent by August 15th of this year. So he would be able to, uh, you know, allow his draft rights to expire and become a free agent. And quite frankly, I think that's probably what will happen. Buffalo's really deep at the goaltending system. Uh, Portillo is a very good prospect. There's no question they would like to have him in their system. With Uka Pekalukanen, Devin Levi among the goalies in their system right now, um, and and they don't, you know, they have Eric Comrie and and Craig Anderson in their NHL roster, so it's not like they're their goaltending at the top of their organization is set yet. But I think with UPL and Devin Levi, you know, I would put Portillo a little bit behind both of them um, in terms of overall uh, prospect status. And I think knowing that, that's that could, uh, could have him go the free agent route. Now, he could also go back to Michigan 
Um, it buys a little more time. I believe that Buffalo could still retain his rights, even though the four years will have passed if, so long as he stays a, a college student. But I do think that we're probably seeing Eric Portillo's last season of college hockey, and I would not be surprised if he signs with another team next summer or this upcoming summer, however you want to describe it. All right, we got two quick ones here from at uh, C.A. Diedrich. The first one is early predictions for the Coyotes if they don't get Bedard or Fantilli. If you don't get Bedard or Fantilli, it's Michkov or Leo Carlson. Those are the two guys. So <laughs> Matt Michkov, the thing is, is if you're the if you're the Coyotes and you're still in this kind of long, long rebuild, Matt Michkov is, to me, you know, one of the best prospects in this draft still. Um, the Russian factor, the fact that he has a, a long-term contract, those are things that absolutely have to be taken into account. And if you are too concerned about that, the next best option to me is Leo Carlson, who is a big Swedish forward who is currently scoring at a very high clip at the Swedish Hockey League level. He is skilled. He is fast. He is everything NHL teams want in a power forward. And I think that there is a chance that if the contract situation becomes onerous enough for teams in that range, Leo Carlson could leapfrog Matt Vaymichkov because I think Adam Fantilli with his play so far, he looks more like the consensus number two to me. Well, I <laughs> To have a consensus, we need a lot more than me saying that. But I believe he's probably the number two prospect in this draft. And then you've got guys that are also, um, you know, Leo Carlson to me is that next guy in there. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I would think. And this also kind of semi-answered the question that, that we have here. But any more chatter from teams on their willingness to select Russian players? And I, I think teams are, are doing it on a case-by-case -case basis. Certainly pl some players, they're, they're not going to be as likely to sign um, or, or draft. But I think that if the player is good enough, they're still going to draft the player. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge difference for, for NHL teams at this point. All right, at Matt Borst, or Borst Matt, um, says, in what seems to be a very forwards-heavy draft, who would you say are some top D prospects, and how far down in the draft will it be before a D is picked? Well, Matt, at this very early stage, I think it's tough to say how low they would go, but I am starting to believe that we could be after 8, 9, or even possibly 10 that our first defenseman goes off the board. And um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about different draft eligible players on defense. Um, you know, they're just, they're just not as plentiful as the forwards this year. And I think that's something that, that I've, I've thought a lot about, you know, in terms of, you know, how this draft is stacking up. And I think in most cases, if it's close between a forward and a defenseman, you want to pick the forward. And I think that, that it's just, it's a little bit safer. The timeline's a little bit different, but obviously there's no question that the, 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 the importance of drafting a strong defenseman is, is huge. And, and to get a guy that has a, a bit more of a prospect, um, you know, bit, a bit more of a prospect, uh, uh, or sorry, a bit more upside. I, I don't know why words fail me at the moment, but a guy that has more upside, um, you know, I think that you can you know, take that time with those players and, and just allow them to develop. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with defensemen this year. And I think a lot of the guys that, that we've talked about, Cam Allen is probably the guy for me that is one of the best defensemen in this draft. He's, he's one of the players that I find um, 
you know, fits the profile of, of the modern defenseman and makes a lot of strong plays. And he's got five points so far. He's, he's not lighting the world on fire offensively for Guelph, but that's a guy that I, I still think there's a lot to, to like about him and, and kind of where he's at. Um, you know, there's been some, some, a lot of chatter about Hunter Brustevich, uh, who's playing for Kitchener. You know, I think he's kind of a fringe first kind of guy personally, uh, but he does have 10 assists through his first eight OHL games this year. So not certainly not bad. Um, at all, but he so he's certainly one of those guys that I could cert could see getting uh, getting involved in in that whole uh, conversation. Um, but yeah, you know it's it's going to be a tough year for defensemen. I just think that there are a lot of guys that that are are not quite uh, not quite there yet. Um, and um, yeah, so I mean it's it's tough to say. One guy to keep an eye on though for the mid second round. Uh, or not mid-second round, sorry, the, the mid-first round is is um, Maxime Sturback, who's currently playing for the Sioux Falls Stampede in the USHL. I think he fits the profile of the modern NHL defenseman as well. He's got good size. He's very fluid. You know, the points are starting to come a little bit for him as well. Um, as that continues, as he makes his adjustment to North America, I think that's a guy in the second half of the season that's going to be far better um, as we go forward. All right, that brings us to our final question, and this comes from at Nabil Rayman. 22. When all is said and done this year, I presume Philadelphia will pick somewhere in the top 10. Who in the top 10 do you think would be a good complement to power center Cutter Gauthier? A couple play driving wingers like Saleh or Benson, or maybe a playmaking center in Dvorsky? Much appreciated, Chris. All right, Nabil, thanks for the question. And, you know, I think as important a prospect as Cutter Gauthier is for uh, Philadelphia, and I agree with your pessimism that they probably are going to be a little bit worse than their start this year. Although I will say John Tortorella does not uh, tank, so uh, you're going to have to, you know, hope for the best, I guess, if you want a high draft pick in this season. Um, but I think the guys that you mentioned are are certainly valid um, as as top ten picks. Edward Saleh is probably one of my favorite wingers, uh, you know, in the draft, and, and a guy that I think can be a center as well. Um, I think his his vision, his ability to set up plays, his competitiveness, his size, all those are are really strong. But then you get a guy like Benson who's super skilled, really sees the ice well, has that that um, you know quickness to him that that he makes plays with. Um, those are all good. And I think you know you're not going to be whoever you're drafting is not drafting to complement Cutter Goche. It's just drafting the best player that you can. Um, you know, in some cases that might mean drafting a guy that you think could play ahead of Cutter Goche in the draft. I mean. I think as we look at last year's draft, even getting further away from it, I still don't know that last year's draft is going to look all that strong on paper in the next couple of years, whereas this year's draft in the early stages looks like a better draft. So like, if they do pick in the top 10, there's a chance that that player that they get is a better prospect than Cutter Goche. Not that he isn't, because Goche's a very good prospect with a huge upside. Um, but yeah, but I, I, you know, and I think you mentioned Dvorsky as well, Deliver Dvorsky. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily see a top ten pick. I just see a lot of players that have played a lot better than he has this year. Um, and it's not to say that he can't turn it around, but that's a guy that I, I just haven't seen this season uh, establish himself as the guy. All right. Well, I really appreciate all the questions. I really appreciate Patrick Williams for hopping on with us. Hope you guys learned a lot about the AHL and got a better understanding of of how valuable that league is to NHL teams. So thankful to Patrick for providing that. Uh, that commentary today. Uh, and also thanks to everybody that asked those questions because those, they do help make the podcast go a little bit. And uh, 
You guys help me come up with the content. If I'm not having all these ideas, you guys pick me up. So I appreciate that. And I think basically that's going to do it for today's show. I mean, what a way to close it. Very awkward transition. But I just want to remind you before I do get out of here that you can subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app of choice if you haven't already. Please do leave a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Seems to help quite a bit when you do that. So would love to see those five-star reviews. We'll read a few on the podcast next week if we get some. And then also uh, wanted to uh, remind you that you can watch all of this on flowhockey.tv. If you haven't yet subscribed to Flow Hockey, I mean, we just went through a weekend where we saw Adam Fantilli playing. We saw the National Team Development Program playing Army. We saw all of these different uh, great games on our platform. And then the ECHL season is underway. Tremendous games throughout. Make sure you check out Flow Hockey. Gordy Meyer scored a beauty of a, a lacrosse-style goal. I can't call it the Michigan because he's from Ohio State. So I don't want to get in trouble with, uh, with anybody in Ohio for that one. But, you know, go on and check all that stuff out. A lot of great content on Flow Hockey. You also have that piece about Adam Fantilli that I told you about that you can read talking about his draft stock and its skyrocketing status in his historic run so far in his freshman season. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. My thanks to Colt Joyce for producing. My thanks to you for joining us. We will see you next week. My name is Chris Peters, and this has been Talking Hockey Sense. 